and why some say it's not nearly enough. And a close call in Chilliwack. Oh, this has the potential to be a very severe damaging fire for this neighborhood. A house fire quickly spreads and threatens several homes. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin in West Vancouver where a wrong way driver triggered a multi-vehicle crash that sent numerous people to hospital today. It happened on the upper levels highway just east of the Cypress Road exit and that is where we find our Grace Key tonight. Grace, you've spoken to police and witnesses. What are they saying about how this all happened? Yeah, that's what they're trying to figure out right now, exactly how this driver started on the wrong side of the road and exactly when they actually entered the highway on the wrong side. Wanted to show you what's unfolding behind me here. So we are now in the cleanup stage. A couple of cars have been pulled off to the side, but just a couple of minutes ago, they did pull that motor home off of that red vehicle. You can see the firefighters just taking a peek inside. It's just an incredible scene here. And if you take a look at the debris that is just scattered around, we can get a little bit of a better glimpse of some of that. I don't know if you can see that just on uh, next to that red vehicle there in the corner is a plant. It's, uh, it's obviously a marijuana plant there. Uh, lots of debris that's scattered around here. Now, earlier when we did see officers looking through some of this debris, we did see them paying a lot of attention to this. Uh, it was some type of giraffe stuffy. They had unzipped it and then pulled something out of it. It was the only item in all of this debris that they actually uh, took with them to another location here. So as for the driver of this motorhome, we know it's a woman in her 20s. The motorhome has Alberta plates. She was traveling alone when she went on the wrong way of Highway 1. She was going westbound in the eastbound lane. It happened at about 1130 this morning to be, uh, between Cypress Bull Road and 22nd Street. Now it appears a black pickup swerved out of the way and it ended up in some bushes about 20 feet down an embankment. The motorhome then clipped a Hyundai with two brothers inside. It spun out and ended up facing the the other direction. The motorhome then went head on with a red Toyota landing on top of that car. Five people were rushed to hospital. Two are believed to be in critical condition. We spoke with the driver of the white vehicle who is heading for lunch with his brother. But they're heading this way. I see the car in front of me. It was a black car swerved out of the way. And I was like, why are they doing that? As soon as it moved out of the way, I see the camper. And it's like literally like a couple meters in front of me. I swerve as fast as I can. It hits the side of me. The airbag deploys, hits my arm. We go rolling and then that was it. I'm really amazed that uh, nobody died as a result of this accident. It was an absolutely tragic incident. I know that a lot of people witnessed it. There were tons of cars that had come to a halt. Um, I saw all over social media people who had seen that. So again, I urge people who did witness this incident to please come forward and speak to police. And uh, I'm sure our viewers can imagine uh, this seriously impacted traffic in the area, Grace. How are things flowing there now? 
Well, you can see behind me, west van, uh, westbound is fine. It's the eastbound that's still shut down here. 4.30 this afternoon, they did allow one lane to be open, and it was for 15 minutes, I'm telling you, it was a steady stro uh, stream of trucks that had been stuck here for five hours. They just weren't able to turn around here. Now they have a couple of the cars pulled off to the side, but they're going to have to get flatbeds in here. I mean, obviously, they're not going to be able to tow this out of here. So two of the cars are off to the side right now. You know, they just flipped this one here, so it's going to take several hours, I expect, for them to be completely off of the road here. And uh, surrounding roads, I'm sure, are very congested right now. Grace, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Grace Key uh, in West Vancouver. Well, public safety has been front and center today as the provincial government released the findings of a probe into repeat offenders. Experts are recommending a big boost to mental health supports, along with other action items to address underlying issues. Richard Zussman reports. Shattered windows, strangers being attacked, the same offender getting arrested hundreds of times. Serious problems with now possible solutions. These evolving crime trends that I've mentioned are very complex challenges. They're compounded, of course, by the pandemic. A pair of experts, Doug Lepard and Amanda Butler, providing government 28 recommendations to deal with repeat offenders. The government promising to implement three quickly, coordinating communication between health, criminal justice and social service organizations, developing programs to address the unique needs of First Nations people and relaunching a pilot project ended by the BC Liberals in 2012 to create repeat criminal cohorts. This is about being community safe. This isn't about embarrassing anybody. This isn't about embarrassing previous governments. Their record speaks for itself. It was a test pilot program in certain communities so that we could learn some best practices and incorporate those into the judiciary. That's exactly what we did. And some longer term recommendations supporting the creation of crisis response centers, finding gaps in the forensic mental health system and establishing legislation here, similar to the UK, to divert accused people with serious mental disorders from the criminal system. That recommendation is really exploratory and would really require the province to advocate on behalf of the federal government to, um, to amend those laws. So that's really a long-term recommendation. The report authors not weighing in on two controversial issues that could have an impact on both businesses and individuals. One, monitoring those repeat offenders. The second, mandatory treatment for those offenders with severe mental health issues. It's of no use when you're talking about an offender who has a condition, for example, not to possess tools or not to be in a parking lot. Compulsory treatment really has not been robustly shown to improve health, particularly compulsory treatment for life-threatening substance use. The government's still not making any decisions on those subjects, just one of the reasons the BC Liberals were quick to criticize. Too little, too timid, and too late. Come on, bring that paper towel, let's go. And also too late, the report finding the amount of time it takes to review files has gone up 118%. Another in a long line of things the province is vowing to fix. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria.
and highlighting the urgency of doing something to curb the increasing level of violence on our streets is the news that one man is charged with two separate life-threatening stabbings in Vancouver, in Vancouver over a two-day period. Rumina Dea has more on that and reaction to the government's report from some victims of chronic crime. Two innocent victims allegedly stabbed by the same suspect in two days. Both unprovoked attacks on strangers, a food delivery worker and a man in Oppenheimer Park. He suffered very serious injuries, life-altering injuries that may take a long time if he ever recovers from them. Four people attacked every day by people they've never seen before, according to the VPD's latest statistics. Severe mental health issues and drug addiction, driving crime and chaos. Chronic offenders like Justin Wayne Collins from Kelowna, who's generated more than 400 police files, a major concern. Stakeholders anxiously awaiting the government's recommendations on repeat offenders, disappointed. Honestly, they're kind of laughable. Bradley Spence, co-founder of EVs, an electric scooter shop in Chinatown, says he's cleaning up graffiti every day and spending thousands of dollars on broken windows. My brother has been on the streets and he's been suffering with addiction all his life. He doesn't want to be helped unless you lock him up like they do in the U.S. and force rehab. I don't think anything's going to be done with it. The recommendations on prolific offenders includes dumping the term prolific offenders. The report says government and police should not be using the term because it perpetuates harm and stigma and fails to address an individual's security and safety. I'm rolling my eyes. I mean, changing the name from chronic offenders to something else that diminishes uh, their responsibility. Uh, chronic offender is a chronic offender. John Clarities, the owner of Marquee Wine Cellars on Davie Street, fails to see how the recommendations will remedy his problems. Roughly 20 grand spent recently on busted windows, graffiti, and extra security. You know, you think you're getting ahead, oh, there goes another $1,000, here goes another $1,000. And that's the frustration. You're not safe walking down the street. You're always looking about, you know, who's ahead of you, who's behind you. Skeptical communities, devastated by a system of catch and release, hoping the government proves them wrong this time. Romina Dea, Global News. Homicide investigators have identified the victim of a murder earlier this week in Surrey. Police say Richard Ofosuhene was shot and killed in his vehicle Thursday, or pardon me, Tuesday morning in the 8800 block of 127th Street. Ofosuhene had ties to drug trafficking in Edmonton. Despite his illicit affiliations, though, officers do not believe his killing is tied to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Instead, they call it an isolated incident. Police are canvassing the area for video footage and witnesses. Details have been released about a month-long police operation targeting criminal gangs in the B.C. interior. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit and RCMP initiative was launched to address recent violence in the Okanagan and Kamloops areas. The operation involved deployment of uniformed gang enforcement officers who targeted individuals and locations associated with gang activity, focusing on the most violent offenders. During the operation, police seized hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of illicit drugs, as well as guns and other weapons, and more than $12,000 in cash. UGET members had numerous interactions with individuals identified by police as being high risk to public safety 
including individuals with links to the Brothers Keepers, Red Alert, and Outlaw Motorcycle Clubs, as well as various subgroups. Currently, 17 files involve criminal and provincial investigations and charges, and we are anticipating more charges as several files are still under investigation. Police say a number of charges have now been laid, or pardon me, have now been forwarded to Crown. A frightening morning in Chilliwack today as a fire threatened several homes. Nine fire trucks and 35 firefighters were dispatched to the Crimson Ridge area. The call came in shortly after 11. The fire was close to several homes, but no serious damage has been reported. A ladder truck was brought in to help battle the hard-to-access fire. No word on a cause and no injuries have been reported. This had the potential to be a very severe and damaging fire for this neighbourhood. So our guys, our firefighters, uh, worked really hard, did a great job in uh, stopping the fire and where they, where they found it. So they did an excellent job. They had a great response and um, put this fire out fairly quickly. It's believed the fire may have started on a backyard patio and spread into the wooded area. Well, it's about to become a lot more challenging to find accommodations in a popular Sunshine Coast destination. Why Seashelt is taking a big step back from short-term rentals. Next on the NewsHour. But there is no shortage of other products that can be used. Parents struggling to find medication for their children. What's behind those empty shelves and the advice from the experts later on the NewsHour. Plus... A lot of worry, giving up hope. The agonizing wait for surgery as medical specialists call for an urgent meeting with BC's health minister. That's still to come. Right now, as a province, it's a ranking you don't want. Number one in housing unaffordability. That's where BC sits in the latest Stats Canada survey. And as Erin MacArthur reports, fewer people in BC are owning homes and more are renting. With less than a month to go before the civic election, one issue has dominated discussion, housing affordability. A data dump from Statistics Canada Wednesday is bringing home just how big an issue it is. You think about the kind of stresses this means, the kind of effects it does to personal health. That I think that this is really, I think, one of the ongoing challenges when we talk about uh, living in British Columbia. According to the census data, over the last decade, homeownership has shrunk in Canada. In B.C. in 2011, 70% of all people owned their own home. In 2021, that number shrank to 66.8%. At the same time, rental rates have skyrocketed. Renters across B.C. have grown by 28%. And while the major urban core has taken up much of that demand, smaller cities have seen huge growth. Kelowna's population of renters increased by 54% over the last decade. The number is 40% higher in Nanaimo. At the same time as renters are becoming more common, the cost to rent has increased by more than 17%, almost twice the rate of the cost to own. While homeowners have rode the wave of price inflation, nearly 40% of all new builds are being occupied by renters, more often than not in a secondary rental market furnished by investors. Uh, housing has become a commodity. When you look at that type of rental through that type of relationship, it tends to be more expensive. It tends to be unstable. Government supports boosted incomes for some of Canada's most vulnerable renters during the pandemic. Housing unaffordability actually decreased over the last five years. Still, 
One in four British Columbians are paying more than 30% of their income to keep a roof over their head. Finding solutions to these systemic, long-term problems could depend on who's elected to city halls across the region. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, Seashelt is the latest B.C. municipality to restrict short-term accommodations. The Sunshine Coast community has as many as 250 short-term rentals, but licenses will be reduced to just 15 next year. As Abadagahi reports, officials say they're doing this in an effort to balance the needs of the tourism industry with those of the people who live there. There is no question concerning demand. This cabin is booked virtually 100% of the time. These days, Gary Birchall's full-time job has been managing and maintaining his three short-term rental units. Now we kind of make enough money to survive on all that. The small Sunshine Coast community only has two hotels, so naturally many find accommodations this way. The trendy short-term stay is good for hosts and vacationers but problematic enough in the eyes of local residents that officials here felt they had to step in. That's what the community has said. They want to have their communities back. They want to have their neighborhoods back. The district is ready to significantly reduce the amount of short-term rental properties it gives license to. Starting next year, only 15 hosts can legally have a short-term rental unless they also live on the property. Neighborhoods being impacted by a lot of Airbnbs. I think in every neighborhood, people want want that that sense of community, that that feeling that I belong here and so do my neighbors. I wouldn't like an Airbnb next door to us because of the noise in the parking. But not everyone feels hurt, especially those in the tourism sector. This is a huge shift in regulation, and that will have not enough accommodation to support our visitor economy. There are fears of cancelled sporting events, local business suffering revenue loss, and hospitality layoffs tied to the accommodation shortages. I would hope that our council and all the voters would understand that we really need to find balance to support a thriving economy alongside the many other issues that uh, need creative solutions. Largely, this is going to drive things underground for a lot of people, um, and they'll just try anyway, and maybe they'll pay the fines or they'll find other ways around it. The district says current hosts with the fewest complaints and adequate parking might be favored when it comes to granting the licenses. Imadagahi, Global News. Drivers on the Lower Mainland experiencing quite a shock at the pump today. This is, is new normal, so this is uh, life. Gas prices jumped nine cents a liter overnight, topping out above $2 a liter for regular. And they're not finished. Experts believe gas will near $2.10 by tomorrow morning and almost $2.20 a liter by Friday. They blame this price spike on an extraordinarily tight supply up and down the West Coast, combined with a planned outage at a major refinery just south of the border. Up next, a police shooting in the interior puts the spotlight on squatters. A lot of people worried about the, their security of having, you know, transient people. The growing concern about unofficial campsites and who's responsible for enforcement. Plus, caught on camera, the VPD appeal for video evidence of Sunday's riot at the PE. 
Vancouver police have opened a new front in their investigation of that riot Sunday night at the PNE. Up to 1,000 people caused hundreds of thousands of dollars damage when the rapper Lil Baby abruptly canceled his show. Seven people were arrested and police have assigned a special team to continue the investigation. A lot of people had their phones out, naturally, posting video after video to social media. And now police are hoping there is more out there for them to see launching a tip line and a video portal for people to submit evidence. Video evidence is a crucial part of the investigation and we know that there are a lot of people out there who have video of what happened both in the venue outside at Hastings Park and in the surrounding neighborhoods and that video will form a crucial part of our investigation as we work towards identifying the people who engage in violent and destructive behavior. The portal can be accessed through the VPD website. Police say in the 2011 Stanley Cup riots, video evidence played a key role, securing hundreds of convictions, most of them guilty pleas that never made it to trial. Well, after a police-involved shooting of two squatters near Karameas last week, residents say they're concerned about the unofficial campsite where the incident unfolded. As Global's Taya Fast reports, local officials say the issue is complex, but they are working to find a solution. It's been one week since police shot two people at an unincorporated campsite near Karameas, killing one man and seriously injuring a woman. Immediately after the incident, residents raised several concerns about the area, which is often frequented by squatters. There's been a, uh, a rash of, uh, of uh, crime over the last few years, and it seems to be escalating. A lot of people worried about the, their security of having, you know, transient people. You know, I don't want to call them, you know, bad, but I mean, most of them are pretty nice when you talk to them. Rural Karameas Area Director Tim Roberts says unincorporated camps have been top of mind for years. We've already started a conversation and I had made a, um, a promise that I was going to try and connect with different ministries and see whether or not we can have like a, let's say, a forest service campsite. According to residents in a nearby trailer park, the pair who were shot by police lived in this area in the bus behind me for nearly two years, which is well over the time allowed. It's usually two, every two weeks and then people are supposed to move on. The land, which is located along Highway 3A, is owned by Crown and crosses over several ministries meaning enforcement becomes less frequent. Who really has the jurisdiction? Is the Ministry of Transport part of the land? Is forestry the other? And also we're in the unceded territory of the Silix people, so we need to involve them in the discussion. He says the community has noticed an uptick in the number of people living in unincorporated areas over the last couple of years. He adds the issue is especially complicated as people live off the grid for a number of reasons. An expansion of our already uh, fentanyl crisis, dealing with drugs, um, and the mental health aspect. We also see people that make a choice. They decide to live in these areas uh, to be separate from society. If, and then we have what's the ever-increasing amount of people that it's an economic necessity. He says moving forward, it will take a joint approach between local officials and the provincial government to help find solutions. The important part is that we have to look at a, a governing tool in regards to the mechanisms that provide support and funding in these multi-jurisdictional areas because it's it is a challenge. Global News did reach out to the Ministry of Forests for more information, but they declined to comment. TFS Global News, Karameas. Still to come, an open letter to Adrian Dix. Everything in healthcare right now is in crisis. Dozens of doctors sign an urgent appeal for action on healthcare. Plus,
when you're a cancer patient, somewhere along your cancer journey, there has been donor support that has helped. An ambitious new campaign for cancer care and research in BC. Now, more than two dozen BC specialists are sounding what could be the loudest alarm yet. As Julie Nolan reports, they have written an open letter to the BC healthcare or health minister warning the system is crumbling. So I'm just going to line you up. Come on forward, first yep. of all. Getting in to see a specialist has been next to impossible for many British Columbians. And now begging for change, an open letter from 26 specialists from across the province to Health Minister Adrian Dix, calling the wait for one million people in B.C. a critical situation. It's becoming untenable and increasingly distressing to specialists, knowing that we, we want to be able to provide the care to our patients, but they can't get in to see us. In the letter, the surgeons and specialists from a range of disciplines write, our entire healthcare system is crumbling and specialty care in this province is going to erode even further and patients are getting sicker and dying on our wait lists. I think honestly unity and strength in numbers, so that's really what's got us down this track is, is finding out that there is crisis in every aspect of healthcare right now. The doctors say they've tried to reach out to Dix before, but no response. While problems existed before the pandemic, they argue the pressure is mounting. For this woman, her first knee surgery was already a two and a half year wait. Bookings for her next surgery already into December. It's anyone's guess. For her daughter's ear, nose and throat surgery, the wait has been devastating at times. Let me just put it this way. I'm really glad that I'm being preemptive about this so that I'm not in a situation where things are urgent. Adrian Dix was not available for an interview, but a spokesperson for the health ministry says they are aware of the open letter and want to make sure that patients are able to access the care they need, adding they continue to make progress on discussions. The specialist behind the open letter says they're eager to talk. Here's our problem in this part of the province. Here's our problem in this part of the province. And here are some potential solutions. Let's work towards solutions together. Julie Nolan, Global News. Well, the sentencing hearing has begun for the operator of an unlicensed East Vancouver daycare where a toddler died five years ago. Susie Yasmin Saad has pleaded guilty to failing to provide the necessaries of life to nine children, including the boy who came to be known as Baby Mac. He was just 16 months old when he died at Saad's daycare. Officers responding to the 911 call found her caring for more, or for more children under the age of 18 months than the law allows. The court today heard from a government inspector who visited a daycare operated by Saad back in 2010 and told her to stop advertising herself as licensed and that she could only have two children under the age of 18 months. A parent who had a child at the daycare at about the same time told the court she and others received a letter from Saad saying the daycare was shutting down temporarily, but then heard nothing more from her. The sentencing hearing is expected to last eight days. Access to pain medication for children continues to be a problem in B.C. It's a supply chain issue that has persisted for several months. But as Kylie Stanton reports, parents are being assured their children won't have to suffer. These are where normally all the, the pain medications for children would be. For months, shelves in pharmacies across the country have looked just like this. No Tylenol, no Advil. Um, yeah, nothing. The children's formula is tough to come by as the drug shortage wears on. We had parents coming in um, 
asking if we have any of these supplies after visiting eight or nine pharmacies. There's still a challenge sourcing the necessary raw materials. Pair that with the higher than normal demand as we enter cold and flu season, as well as supply chain issues. And it's left parents in a bit of a panic, wiping out whatever's left. If you need the product and someone else has hoarded it and they didn't need it, that's you'll you'll be feeling firsthand how difficult that is. Generic brands are equally effective. There are also chewable tablets as well as suppositories. And some children may be able to take a portion of adult medication as a last resort and only under the guidance of a doctor or pharmacist. Solutions will be provided. Your child will not suffer. Uh, you just may need to ask if you don't see exactly what you want right away. But doctors warn using aspirin as a substitute should be avoided, as it's known to lead to Reye's syndrome, a rare but serious condition causing the swelling of the liver and brain. So we're just coming straight out and saying, don't use this in, in children under 18 because the risks of Reye's syndrome are quite significant. On its website, Tylenol has provided an update, saying the amazing people at our Canadian manufacturing are working hard to increase production of the Tylenol products you know and trust. Our site is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and products are shipping across Canada every day. It's pretty wild. The question now is whether they'll make it to these shelves before the cold and flu season is in full swing. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, it is being described as the most ambitious and comprehensive health campaign in BC's history. The BC Cancer Foundation releasing details today of its Beyond Belief initiative. It aims to raise $500 million to enhance cancer research and care in this province. The campaign has already secured more than half its goal, $250 million, from generous donors in the province. Our goal in this campaign is about investing in innovation and technology, in people, and in increasing access so all British Columbians can get state-of-the-art care closest to home. The foundation notes one in two British Columbians will face cancer in their lifetime, and the demand for care is expected to increase 60% over the next decade. Atlantic Canada is nervously watching Fiona as it strengthens into a Category 4 hurricane off the Caribbean. I had never been through this. It was awful, but I'm also really grateful and lucky. Next on the News Hour, we hear from Canadians who were in the Caribbean when it made landfall there. And the grand opening of a new attraction north of Quesnel that comes with a history lesson. A good jolt from Mother Nature for residents of Prince George this afternoon. An earthquake registering as a magnitude 3.2 hit the city and its surrounding areas. It was centered just southwest of the city, five kilometers underground. And while it only lasted a few seconds, it certainly got everyone's attention. In this case, uh, certainly from my own experience and, and hearing from others, uh, we might call this uh, a four or a light earthquake on the modified Mercalli scale, where you have some rumbling uh, happening, you know, maybe a little bit of shifting of, of objects on, um, you know, on your counters, but uh, not widespread damage. At this point, there are no reports of serious damage or injuries. Earthquakes are rare in that area, but not, not entirely unheard of. 
Hurricane Fiona carved a path of destruction across the Caribbean. Relentless rain, flash flooding and wicked winds battering places like Puerto Rico, Turks and Caicos and the Dominican Republic. Global's Shalima Maharaj has more on the storm and stories from some Canadians who were there as it made landfall. Fiona was a whole different breed, much, much stronger and much more deliberate. I only slept maybe an hour and a half with one eye open through the night as she basically pounded on us. Belleville native Mike Bryant has lived in the Dominican Republic for about 17 years now. He operates a tour company in Punta Cana and when Hurricane Fiona made landfall... I wrote in a little journal that it sounds more like I'm underneath the hood of a diesel engine car going down the road. Everything is rattling, uh, shaking, vibrating. It's quite a unique sound and you can only live through a hurricane to experience that sound. While some areas saw homes toppled, others were less scarred by the storm. In the nearby vicinity, Bryant describes down signs and scattered tree branches, remnants of a storm now surging in strength toward Atlantic Canada. I feel like I could moonwalk through a snowstorm, no big deal, but a hurricane is just, it's real. In Cambridge, Ontario's Eric Gagne experienced it firsthand while staying at a resort in Punta Cana. We were just in this room and it just felt like anything could happen. We didn't hear any trees go down, but we could hear them flapping in the wind. And later in that night, we were trying to sleep and, and water seeping into our room. Gagne arrived back on Canadian soil on Tuesday evening. I couldn't explain how awful I felt because I was Googling on Twitter and I'm just like, Puerto Rico has no power. We have power. I, I have no reason to complain about a couple of trees that are down. So it was this weird, like, I had never been through this. It was awful, but I'm also really grateful and lucky. Shalima Maharaj, Global News. And meteorologist Christy Gordon is with us now. Christy, uh, as we just heard, Atlantic Canada is now bracing for that storm. Yeah, and this could be a major hurricane for Atlantic Canada, substantial by the end of uh, Friday. Here's a quick look. Currently, it's a Category 4, and it's going to track towards the north. It will likely weaken to a Category 3, maybe Category 2. Nonetheless, that is substantial to be hitting the coast of Nova Scotia by late Friday. So a big concern here. Now, as it makes its way inland, it will weaken as it does over inland. But nonetheless, it's the winds, potentially up to 200 kilometers an hour, and the rain. We're talking about anywhere from 100 to 200 millimeters of rain in some localized areas. So the concern is for a storm surge as well as the rain and therefore flooding. Again, this would be impacting that region late Friday throughout the day on Friday, sorry, late Friday throughout the day on Saturday. Meanwhile, across our region, today was the last full day of summer. I hate to say that, but it was beautiful and we've got more great weather on the way, but it has meant drought. We're talking about the south coast area, Fraser uh, Valley, as well as much for Vancouver now at a Category 4 drought level. That means adverse uh, um, um, impacts are likely, and that would be socioeconomic as well as on the ecosystem. Meanwhile, there's a fire danger rating still in an extreme level, and we don't have anything significant in terms of rain. Now, as we have the uh, we transition into uh, fall tomorrow with beautiful weather, but by Friday we could see a little bit of cloud cover, but it doesn't amount to much. We're talking about a, a millimeter to two millimeters of rain, and that's about 
about it not enough to really make an impact on the drought conditions that we are experiencing. The North Coast, different ball game. Rainfall there. This is the area across the interior region that are also very dry, but particularly the South Coast. So tomorrow we transition officially to fall. It will feel like summer, Sophie. The first full day of fall will feel a little bit more like fall with cooler conditions, but it doesn't mean much rainfall at all. And we're right back into sunshine, which is great for all you sun lovers out there. Here's tonight's central windows weather window, and this is from Ruth Lake, which is not uh, too far from the Forest Grove area. Beautiful shot of two uh, just having a nice little evening paddle, as you can see there. So back to you. Serenity. Thank you very much, Christy. Mm -hmm. Serenity now. Squad. Serenity now. <laughs> yep. Festivus is coming up soon. Yeah. Well, Frank Costanza. <laughs> It's a lot of good Frank Costanza-isms. Yeah. Um, you know, another way we know summer's <laughs> over, Squire, is we start talking more about hockey. That's true. And actually, the Canucks uh, training camp starts tomorrow in Whistler. And the most important Canuck last season was goaltender Thatcher Demko. And this year, he's hoping to be even better. Um, you know, for me, the expectation now is, is to be a top goalie in the league. Uh, you know, being a starter isn't good enough. He played 64 games last season. Does he want the same workload this season? We decided that this would be a great bit of history for the, from the local area that we would like to rehabilitate. The effort that's gone into a new outdoor attraction for hikers and bikers and the history lesson those who use it will get along the way. That's still to come. Well, here we go again. Yep. Time to be excited and disappointed. There's always next year, and here's <laughs> next year again. Elated and angry. You're right. <laughs> We've waited until next year, and next year has arrived. Yep. Uh, it is officially Canucks season. Training camp will start tomorrow morning at Meadow Park Sports Center in Whistler when the goalies skate onto the ice at 9.45 a.m. There will be three different practice groups and a scrimmage for Bruce Boudreaux, whom, of course, changed the Canucks' fortunes when he joined last season. Had them play much better after December, but the question is, were the Canucks better because the atmosphere changed so dramatically from Travis Green to Bruce Boudreaux? And were they better because they were playing much looser? Because, of course, the bad start wiped the pressure of making the playoffs away. The Canucks themselves feel that the team we saw under Boudreaux for, well, I guess the last three, four months of last season will be the same team we see when the regular season starts on October 12th and the playoffs for the Canucks, according to the Canucks, is a very realistic goal. We have to see ourselves as a playoff team. You know, it's, you know, anything less than that, I think, you know, we, we failed. I mean, honestly, you want to make the playoffs. I, I think we, I believe in our, our group. I believe uh, that we have a playoff team here. And again, all the, the pieces that we added, I, I really believe in this group. I believe, uh, obviously, we have unbelievable goaltending. Our, our decor is solid. And obviously, our forwards are, are, are really good. So, I mean, I'm excited about this year. I believe in this group. I believe uh, uh, that we're a good hockey team. And, and the, ever since I got here, they've been, uh, they've showed me no other reason to believe that. So, I mean, uh, I know it's a new season, but uh, I, got to believe that we were capable of taking off where we've left off and uh, um, and I think if you look at it on paper we're a better team now than we were at the end of the year um, so I mean there's you know most teams are but I mean uh, there's no reason for me to think that we're not capable of doing some pretty good things here 
And of course, the Vancouver Canucks playoff hopes rest a lot on the shoulders of Thatcher Demko. He took a big step forward last season. Number one goalie for the Canucks, played through pain at times, covered up for a lot of defensive lapses, but he isn't satisfied with his own play. He believes that he has a lot more to give. Yeah, I think, you know, last year was, um, for me, I wanted to, um, you know, just become a starting goalie full-time, and um, I was able to do that. And, um, you know, for me, the expectation now is, is to be a top goalie in the league. Uh, you know, being a starter isn't good enough anymore. Uh, it's about taking that next step and, and continuing to prove myself to, to my teammates and, and to the league as well. Last year, Thatcher Demko took on a huge workload. He played in 64 games, third most in the NHL. Does he want to put the mask on that many times this season? Or would he like a lighter schedule? Yeah, I think uh, once the season starts, I th you can have a number in your head. And um, obviously, that's not my job to decide. But, um, you know, the season kind of takes on a life of its own. And, um, you know, I just kind of roll with it at that point. So um, I'll be ready for, you know, whatever, whatever they need me to do. Okay, we have to tell you this uh, great Bruce Boudreaux story from the summer involving the Little Mountain Little League team. Now, during the Little League World Series, the Canucks coach, who lives in Pennsylvania, where the Little League World Series takes place, drove to the ballpark to support the kids from Little Mountain. Woke up one morning, like, I mean, I live in Hershey, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away, and, uh, and I was reading the, because me and my son, we, we've been watching this forever and the the little league world series and looked at uh, we always look how canada does but it, it always said canada and so then it said canada vancouver's team and i went holy uh, like i said i gotta go there you know i got i mean they support us like crazy i gotta go there and support them so uh, i told my wife and we just uh, we got in the car and we went there and i asked uh, there if i could speak to the kids and wish them well and um, that we're behind them and all of Canada's behind them. And uh, that was it. It was, it was a fabulous, fabulous experience for us. It's amazing to see those kids. And, uh, you know, we invited them to one of our games and hopefully uh, uh, they'll all show up one day. That's, that's a good story, isn't it? Okay. So as you know, the Edmonton Oilers have invited Jake for 10 to their training camp on a tryout basis. And they say he will only be signed if he's good enough on the ice and if the Oilers feel it's worth dealing with the backlash that in some ways has already started. Edmonton GM Ken Holland answered the question today as to why he gave Vertanen a second chance at an NHL career. Well, first off, I guess the most important thing was he went, uh, you know, he's in a, you know, in the legal system and he went to a court of law and uh, a jury found him not guilty. If it had never gone before the, the courts, he wouldn't be here. If we think over the next two weeks that he's somebody that uh, can make us uh, better, deeper, um, he's an NHL player, then I'm going to have to weigh what you're talking about much, much, in much more depth. Okay, getting back to the Bruce Boudreaux thing, going oh to see... God. Isn't that great? Dude. Went to see I the Little League it. World Series. Drove all the it. way there. Okay. What a good guy. Yep. Thanks, Squire. Up next, from rail to trail, a new path with a lot of history. A new attraction north of Quesnel has just been completed and open to the public. Outdoor enthusiasts can now enjoy a 10-kilometer trail created from a century-old decommissioned section railbed. CKPG's Dave Branco was there for the grand opening. 
For over a year, Michael Wells and some community members have been instrumental in bringing back to life a rail bed that has been sitting dormant since September 10th, 1921. We decided that this would be a great bit of history for the, from the local area that we would like to rehabilitate, turn into a hiking, biking trail. Most of the rail bed sits on private property targeted towards preserving the environment. On the 10-kilometer rail trail, users can see the effort of railway workers to build a rail system that stops short of crossing the Cottonwood River. The, the whole story of the, of the failure of the PGE line to go through in the 1920s, the railway reached Quinell in 1921, that's when our station was, and that had a huge impact on the community. During the Second World War, they surveyed this area and took out uh, birch that was used to manufacture airplanes for the war effort. The amount of effort that the grade, that the workers from PGE put into this when they built it is just phenomenal. They, by hand and with some little bit of machinery, cut huge trenches, built up railway grade to keep it level. It's very, very impressive. The amount of work is, that went into this is beyond our comprehension because we do it all with big machinery. At the time, unstable ground prevented the crossing of the Cottonwood River, along with the lack of financial and political support. The trail system is open to the public. For more information, contact the Quenelle and District Museum. In Quenelle, Dave Branco, CKPG News. All right, final word on the weather from Christine. Looks like a nice, almost sunset behind you. Yeah, no, it's absolutely stellar out here. That's for sure, Sophie. So last full day of summer tomorrow, we transition into fall. It will feel like summer, though. Uh, first full day of fall will feel a little bit more like it. Cooler with cloud, but we're not expecting a lot of rain. In fact, we still have summer-like weather on the way through the weekend. So back to you. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Good night, all.